Hello, and welcome to The Promise of Discovery, a podcast where members and investigators at the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center talk about their research in intellectual and developmental disabilities. My name is Janet Schaus, and I work at the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center as the program coordinator for the IDD Toolkit. And I'm here today with Julie Lowndes-Taylor, who is an associate professor of pediatrics and a Vanderbilt Kennedy investigator. Hello, Julie. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Um, Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, Julie? Sure. So, uh, as you said, I'm an associate professor here in the Department of Pediatrics. I've been here at Vanderbilt uh, since February of 2008. So that is 12 years I've been here, which is a long time. Um, And over most of that time, my work has really been focused on trying to understand how to meet the needs of individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities during the transition to adulthood and beyond with a lot of that being focused uh, on families of people on the autism spectrum. Great, thank you. While we're gonna talk today about the ASSIST program that you're involved with, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved in your work? Yeah, so, you know, I feel like a lot of people when they come to the disabilities field, it's because they have a family member that has an intellectual and developmental disability or, you know, have some sort of, you know, someone who's, who's important to them that's really close in their lives. And, and that's actually not how I came to the disability field. So um, when I was in school, I really didn't know hardly anybody that had an intellectual developmental disability that you know people with disabilities were not really alongside me in my high school or in my middle school and just hadn't hadn't had a lot of experience or contact um with individuals with with different disabilities and when i was in college um i was looking for jobs and i went to wheaton college which is in in the suburbs outside of chicago and they were hiring Uh, students to help out in their special recreation association programs that they have there. And outside of Chicago, they have this huge network of organizations um, called Special Recreation Association. And they they run all the Special Olympic sports. Um, They do all kinds of social clubs and different clubs for for children and adults with disabilities. Um, They run inclusion programs sometimes for like summer camps or before school and after school programs and things like that. So I applied for this job and, and, and they hired me and ended up sort of coaching. <laughs> I sound surprised when I say that, right? Ended up coaching um, a bunch of special Olympic sports or assistant coaching. Um, ended up helping out with some social clubs for starting out with children with intellectual and developmental disabilities and then ended up ultimately running a social club for adults with disabilities. Um, and just really um, kind of fell in love with the families and with the individuals that I was working with through this experience. Um, But also noticed that there were some families that just like, they were really thriving. I mean, they seemed very happy and and things seemed to be going really quite well for them. And there were a lot of families that were really struggling that they would come in and you could tell that that life was not always easy for them. Um, And it just became, I got really interested at that point and really trying to understand what's what's different about the families and the individuals where things seem to be going pretty well and, and the ones where things are a little harder and, and how can we learn 
how to help families that, that are having a tough time or individuals who are having a tough time. So that was really what sparked my interest in, in the field of intellectual and developmental disabilities and it's kind of carried me through to today. Well, very cool. Thank you. Uh, just out of curiosity, were you the sporting type? Were you involved in athletics prior to that? I always liked athletics, um, but I was never very good. I mean, I was like, I was, I was sort of the person who, um, it didn't come natural to me, but I would work really, really hard. So I would have to work five times as hard as the person that it came natural to them to like get to the same level of performance. <laughs> and so for this, it didn't really matter so much. I could do, and I would do sports like rhythmic gymnastics. Um, I coached, which was super fun. Um, I coached golf which was, I coached basketball and that was a little, and I did play some basketball. So I got to um, have some experience with sports that I knew nothing about, which was pretty fun. Um, but but no, I, I always tried really hard to be athletic, but it never really came naturally to me. <laughs> well, that's a facet of you that I didn't know about. Yes, Julie, so, so I had to work so hard. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'd like to know a little bit more about the research you're doing with the ASSIST program. Yeah, so this, you know, this is my first time sort of this program of research really actually testing a program and doing an intervention per se, a trial. That was not actually where I saw my career going. Doesn't this happen for all of us, right? That's not, you know, I'm trained as a developmental psychologist. So, so what I get really excited about is trying to understand how do people grow and change over time and what are the trajectories of their life look like and what are all the factors that go into that? And so that was really my first study here at Vanderbilt was, was exactly this. It was a study where we brought in families of young adults on the autism spectrum who were all in their last year of high school. And then we followed them for three years and just looked to see like what happened when they left high school and which of the families seemed to be having a smoother transition. And can we figure out what's different about those families versus the ones where, where things are a little bit harder. But when we were seeing the families and the individuals, what came up over and over again is families were just completely dumbfounded by the adult service system. Um, and these were families, the first time that we saw them, you know, their son or daughter was leaving high school within the next six to nine months. And they really um, felt very ill-prepared to make this change and the shift in service systems from school-based services into the adult service system. Um, and and the more that we heard about this, the more that I thought, you know, I think that we could do something about this. And, you know, I don't know that we can make adult services more available. I mean, I think we need more funding for adult services and, you know, but that, that feels like a big issue. And I, you know, yep. the adult service system is really incredibly complicated and it needs to be simplified. And that's, but one thing that we can do is we can help families navigate and figure out how to access the services that are there in the way that, that it is. And so um, at the time I, I was doing some work on some projects with Bob Hodap, who's a professor in special ed here. And he had been working with Megan Burke when she was his doc student, um, developing and delivering a program that trains advocates to work um, to really about special education law and to advocate for families of students with disabilities within the school system. It's called the VAP, the Volunteer Advocacy Program. And, and we thought, what if we could take the same structure of training families and individuals about the service systems and apply it to adult services instead of school-based services? Um, so we wrote a pilot grant uh, with this idea of we'd like to try to, to do this and see if it works and ended up getting that funding. 
Um, and so we worked closely with Megan Burke, who is um, now an associate professor at University of Illinois. And we worked very closely with Carol Rabideau, who's the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center social worker, to really try to take all of this complicated information about adult services and supports and condense it down into a 12-week program where we can help families identify what are the needs of their son or daughter um, and, and what specific services and supports may be the most helpful in helping their son or daughter meet their needs. Um, this is a long story, Jana, but I'm going to keep going. So, <laughs> Well, one of the questions I'm supposed to ask you is, why is this an important topic to study? But I think you've pretty much answered that mm -hmm. and, and that you saw that certain families were able to flourish and their loved one to flourish and some families and individuals with autism really struggled. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say you've learned thus far from the pilot study that you that has led you now to create the assist program? Yeah, we I think a couple of things that, that some some expected and some not expected. So um, I think one of the gratifying parts of doing this work is that this is something that families really want to be a part of. Um, we recruiting for this study has been the easiest study that I've ever recruited for because it's something that families want. They want to know about adult services and supports. And so, you know, to be able to try to do rigorous research to, to kind of add to our knowledge in, in terms of what we know about this area, but also to be able to directly provide something that we think can be helpful to families in the meanwhile, um, is, is something that I hadn't had a chance to do before. Um, and, and it's, it's pretty nice. It, 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 it it, it feels good to be able to give back a little bit more quickly, I feel like, than we can otherwise. Um, I think we learned, so we learned that families want a program like this, and that came through pretty clearly. Um, we've learned that um, we have some preliminary data that, that has led to this bigger application to suggest that despite all of the challenges um, to getting community employment, and despite all of the challenges to independence, for individuals on the autism spectrum. Getting families information about services in a way that they can use might actually be enough to budge the needle on that at least a little bit. Like actually getting people information about services matters and services matter. And we're gonna test that more carefully in this bigger project, but we have some preliminary data to suggest out of all of the different barriers that this actually is an important one. Like families not really knowing how to navigate the service system. Um, the other thing that we've learned, I think that was a little bit more unexpected maybe, is that a lot of the families that we have seen in these studies so far, uh, of families of youth who, families who have, who have, you know, sons and daughters who are just about to leave high school or maybe in the few years after, a lot of them, even families who are, seem like they're well-connected families, really are, seem to be fairly isolated from other families who are in a similar situation. Um, and, and there are a lot of families who come into our studies that don't necessarily know other families or not many other families of young adults with disabilities in this similar age range. And so the ability to sit together in a group and be in a group and share your challenges and be validated and hear like other people are having these same challenges and to hear other people's successes and to share your own successes. Um, that's something I don't know that I knew how important the group format of this was going to be going into the study because we toyed around with like maybe we just put a bunch of videos online for parents to watch or maybe but there's something about being able to really 
share your own experiences and learn from others' experiences and commiserate when needed and, and problem solve for each other. That actually, I think, has become a more valuable part of this program than I had anticipated going into it. So it's not just about giving families information about services. It's about letting them kind of work together and, and support each other as they're trying to figure out this complicated system. As a family member, I can verify how important connecting with other families, uh, particularly those in similar situations, can be mm-hmm. to, to helping you navigate and, and to feel validated and to understand that you're not alone. So that is huge. We should have just asked you on the front end, Janet, and then we would have known. <laughs> we have to it for ourselves. <laughs> uh, again, I think you've kind of already answered this, but um, what impact could this research that you're doing have in people's lives? Well, we hope, we hope that, um, that by learning more about the adult service system and participating in this program. Um, the other thing that I haven't talked about much is that we have a real focus throughout the whole program on really making sure that parents are kind of tuning into the hopes and dreams of their son or daughter as they're listening to different services and supports. And so we hope that by being in this program that parents will really, it'll hopefully spark more conversations, and for a lot of families, these conversations have been going ongoing for a long time, but will spark more conversations about what their son or daughter wants, what are their hopes and dreams and their desires for their lives, and then families can actually match that to the services and supports that their son or daughter is eligible for that will help them reach their goals. And so, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, this sounds maybe, maybe a little simplistic, but our ultimate goal is to really help people with disabilities flourish in adulthood and, and to really help them, help families support them in identifying the services and supports that are gonna really help them reach their own goals and, you know, and, and achieve whatever dreams they have. Very cool, thank you. Um, what impact do you see this research having in your field? You know, so over the last, you know, 10 years, five to 10 years, sort of in the autism field, we're really seeing an increased focus on thinking about how to support um, adults on the autism spectrum, moving beyond a real focus on young kids and and really- Because they grow up. Because they grow up and they still have autism and they still need (laughs) supports, right? But I mean, every time I say it and I go out, it sounds so obvious, but our research has not really recognized this until very recently. Um, And so there are a lot of people who are starting to think about these issues. We have been thinking about these issues for a little while now. So this program assist is really kind of one of the earlier interventions to make its way into kind of a large scale randomized controlled trial like we're doing now. Um, And if we're, we're really hopeful that if we can show that you can actually budge the needle in terms of outcomes, that things that we do, other than going out and completely changing policy, but we can do things within the systems that we have to actually make life better for people on the autism spectrum and for their families, that this is gonna sort of be a hopeful thing, that now all of these other trials that are going on, and there are a lot of trials that are starting to go on in the adult space in terms of thinking about how to improve the lives of people on the autism spectrum. We're all gonna build on each other and learn from each other. And so, I'm hoping that this will be one study that's going to contribute ultimately 
to hopefully it's sort of a wide range of programs and services and supports that families and individuals can choose from when they're trying to think about, you know, what, what type of program is going to be the most helpful for, for me or, or for my son or daughter or for families. Um, but we're really on the front end of this. We're really, we've, I've seen a lot of programs that are kind of in the piloting stage and people are trying to work it out. And a lot of these are going to be moving into larger trials down the road to actually try to figure out, does this intervention or program actually improve the lives of people with disabilities or with autism? So we're, we're really excited to be able to contribute to that sort of broader field. One thing I don't think we've touched on is the, the national nature of the ASSIST mm. program. Do you want to touch on that? You bet. Um, so the adult service system is different in every state. And so this is a real challenge when you're trying to develop an intervention to improve access to adult services. So in our pilot work, we really focused in on the service system in Tennessee. Um, and that was a really smart decision because I have to tell you, Carol and Megan and, and myself and all of us on our team we had to work so hard to just wrap our heads around, and Janice laughing because you know that this is true, to wrap <laughs> our heads around sort of the range of services and supports and how all these different pieces fit together. And if you get too much of this, you get less of this and you have to get this to get this. And these two things have really similar names, but they're talking about different things. And this has changed over the, I mean, it was just, it was so hard. And that was just within one state in one service system. So Carol and Megan worked so hard, put together something where we actually got some really nice feedback from families and some really nice findings to show that actually this may work in terms of improving outcomes. But then I would go and talk about the program and I would go to New Jersey and I would say, we have this great program. And they would say, oh, this would be so helpful. Can we use it? And I would say, no, you can't. <laughs> because really like the devil's in the details in these things and the details don't apply to you. Um, because the service system is different in every state. And so we realized that for a program like this to really have, to really have an impact, you had to think about how to make it national. But how do you make something that works across the country when the information is different without just having it be basically like do, do what you will because the information is different. And so in this larger grant that we have, we had funding from the National Institute of Mental Health, um, and we spent the whole first year of this five-year grant just trying to figure out what does this look like? How do we put together something that is actually a curriculum and a program, but allowing for sort of individual variability that needs to happen in states to give families information that's going to actually work for them? Um, and, and where we landed, and, and, and Janet was a, has been a huge part of this from the start, um, is to develop sort of short videos, 10 to 15-minute videos, um, that are narrated and hosted by family members, um, Janet being one of them, um, and, and then also Linda Brown from Tennessee Pathfinder, Janet's husband, John, and then Ann Carl, um, to, to really sort of walk parents through each of the different topics and what are the basics? What is sort of what could the service or support do for you? What are some real basics that you might need to know to start to understand the service and support? And, 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 and why is it important? What, how could this sort of how could this impact and, and, and help your son or daughter get closer to sort of their dreams or their goals? So we have this sort of national video that we show and then every site in every state has to bring in their own local people that know how SSI or Vogue Rehab or whatever the topic is for that day works in their state. 
we have learning objectives that we like them to follow. So we have at least some sort of idea that families are getting similar information, but the specifics are gonna be different. And so we kind of developed this hybrid model where there's some standardization while still allowing enough sort of customization and personalization for families to get the information that's gonna work for them. And that's what we're testing right now. So we're testing this in, in Nashville, um, in the Chicago area, and in Madison, Wisconsin, um, with, with colleagues at each of those sites to try to see if the sort of hybrid approach, if families are getting similar information across the different sites, um, and, and if we see, you know, if, if when we sort of do it this way, where we have less control over the specifics that are being said, whether we see the same kind of, of positive impacts on outcomes. I'll Thank say you. one more thing, Janet, before we move on that I should have okay. said much earlier, which is that a program like ASSIST only works um, with the help, with the great help of people who have boots on the ground uh, in each of these different issues. So from the start, this program has been um, a partnership with the local disability community. So we don't have somebody from the university who learns everything about every piece of the adult service system and then delivers that to families. When we're talking about SSI, we bring in somebody like Carol Westlake from the, from the Tennessee Disability Coalition who you know, have, works with families on getting them SSI on a regular basis and knows all of the little tricks of the trade and, and, and the ups and downs. For Vogue Rehab, we bring in somebody from Vogue Rehab who can talk directly to families about the challenges and, and the promise of Vogue Rehab. And we really rely on people in the community who can give families sort of the most current, the most important information that is always up to date that is gonna, you know, get them what they need to figure out that service. And then that becomes a point of contact for the families as well. So um, every time we do this program, I'm so grateful for our local disability community who are willing to really jump in and share what they know with, with the family members um, and are just are so collaborative. That's something that I think in Nashville is a particular strength of the community here. I agree. Are there policy implications for the work you're doing? I think the policy implications here um, are, are that the adult service system is hard. <laughs> it takes a 12-week program to even help families get their, their foot in the door in terms of understanding the ranges of services and supports. Um, and and so, so one implication for policy is that we need to simplify things. We need to figure out how to get things, you know, put things in place. To, to make this process easier for families. But I think the other potential policy implication here is if we can show that this works, a next step in terms of what we're thinking is instead of having to train every single individual family to become experts in the adult service system, wouldn't it be nice to use a model like this and train advocates who could work with multiple families and really help each family sort of figure out what their own needs are and then what are the services and supports that could be more like a family navigator model, right? Um, and I think if we find that something like that works, then that has huge policy implications because that is certainly the kind of service that already is funded in, in some states, but could be funded broadly um, and, and, and could potentially, you know, increase the reach to, to other families. So, so I think the main policy implications now are just, boy, really demonstrating the challenge that this is for families and that we need to do something about that. But I really think down the road, using a program like this to train navigators that could work with multiple families would be something that I think would be a wonderful use of this program and could be a huge help. And I don't think it would be that expensive either from a policy place. 
Does, does the ASSIST program also encourage families and individuals with autism to contact the policymakers in their state or at the federal level to try to simplify the adult service system? So I don't know that we necessarily um, encourage families to do that specifically, um, but we do have a whole session on advocacy on non-adversarial advocacy, where we talk about all the different ways that you can think about advocating for your son or daughter. And that goes from how do you talk to, to you know, people from, from service agencies in a way that's going to be the most effective in terms of getting what you need, all the way to how do you advocate on a larger scale in terms of, you know, contacting legislators and things. So, so I don't know, Janet, that we necessarily specifically guide them towards advocating for a less complicated service system, although maybe we should do that. We could, but we certainly try to, um, you know, those of us, I certainly advocate for that kind of in, 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 in my professional life. Um, and I know lots of others do too. Um, but we do try to give families, um, equip families, give them the tools to more effectively advocate for, for whatever they feel like is the most important to their family and to themselves, not only sort of in the context of getting a service or support or interacting with service systems, but really trying to get them to think on a, on a bigger scale in terms of advocating for legislation, both statewide and federally. Okay, thank you. What would you say is next for this research? So we are in year two of our five-year randomized controlled trial. And I have to tell you, COVID-19 has really <laughs> thrown a little bit of a wrench in things. Like I told you before, Janet, we have found that sort of the group component of this really seems to be critical. And so we worked so hard on this intervention, as you well know. Um, and then we recruited families to be in our randomized controlled trial. We got through four weeks of our 12-week program. It was going really well. And then social distancing measures went into effect and it was no longer safe to meet together in a group. Um, and so we took a pause and we said, okay, we need to regroup. We don't wanna like make a decision quickly about what to do. We need to really weigh our options. Um, and we are moving forward um, doing the programs uh, via web conferencing, via Zoom for the time being, um, and are really learning a lot, lot, lot about how do you try to really um, facilitate a group feel in, when, when everybody's in their own homes and they're not in the same room. And thankfully, again, we have Carol Rabideau, who is a master at just group dynamics in general, who's helping out with this. And then Loria yes. Hubbard from the ARC, is kind of our community partner who's running the groups and she is also a wonderful facilitator and so we have two highly skilled people that are really working hard to think through how do we make this online group feel as close as possible to sort of the beautiful interactions and give and takes that we had in person um, and we'll be moving forward doing it that way until we until it's safe for us to meet in person again so um so that's kind of where we're at in the moment is just trying to figure out okay how do we get this information to families in a way that's going to work and be powerful and impactful given the new circumstances that we're all in now? Um, and then we're just going to see if it works. So we're going to follow families for 30, up to 30 months after their intervention group takes the program because we know it can take a while to get services and supports, you know, just because you know how to get 
SSI or you know how to get, you know, you know how to get Medicaid waiver services doesn't mean that you're going to snap your fingers and get them. So we really want to follow families throughout this journey so that we don't kind of cut things off too soon when families really were making progress but hadn't quite gotten there yet. Um, and then we'll see if it works. And if it doesn't work, we'll try to figure out why and we'll try to figure out who this program works best better for and who it didn't work as well for what adaptations we might need to make um, and, and, you know, and go from there. We're, we, we are interested in, in thinking about how a program like ASSIST might work for families of people with disabilities outside of autism, because all of the information is basically relevant for all of that. So that's the next step. We're yep. interested in thinking about how do we take this information about adult services and supports and make it, put it into some sort of packaging or formatting that high school transition teachers can use We've been working with Triad a little bit on that. Um, and what is Triad? Oh, uh, that's the Kennedy Center Treatment and Research Institute for Autism Spectrum Disorders. Thank you, Janet. And they um, do a lot of autism-related research. They also have contracts with the school system um, and a lot of state agencies to provide support to teachers and to professionals around um, best practices uh, for individuals on the autism spectrum. And so as part of their transition programming, we've been working together to think about how do we get some of these resources about adult services in the hands uh, of teachers who can use them in their transition planning. Um, and ultimately, I would love to see this move to a navigator model where it's not that every single family has to become an expert in adult services, but that you know we can train navigators who can work with multiple families and really increase our reach in that way. That would be fabulous. Yeah, and, I think so too. <laughs> I think families would really appreciate it because it is, it is a daunting journey mm -hmm. uh, once you leave the, the kind of one-stop shop of the school system. Mm -hmm. Even if things aren't wonderful, you know who to go to and who to talk to. Um, and then having to try to figure out where to go, who to talk to, who to talk to first mm -hmm. um, can be an uphill battle that, that some families just really don't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, Janet, over the course of doing this work, we have seen families who are really well-connected families, really savvy families with a lot of margin to try to figure this out, who have struggled mightily in trying to work through the adult service system. And it just makes me think, what about, what about families who don't necessarily have sort of the resources and the margin to be able to work through this? And I think it's just, I think it's really imperative that we as a society figure this out one way or the other. I'd see what we're doing with ASSIST as kind of a stop gap in some ways, on our way to actually figure out how to make the service system work better uh, across the board. But, but I think given the context that we have now, you know, helping families access the service system the way it is, I think is a good place to start. Is this where I get to ask you a question now, Jana, or do you have more it, for me? No, that, this is the time you get to ask hey. me a question. So I would love to hear you, your experiences and hear you talk a little bit more about as you've been on your journey you know, navigating the adult service system um, with your family. What has been the most helpful for you in this process? Well, um, I am the parent of a young adult with autism. Um, my son has some pretty significant challenges. He doesn't really have a functional means of communicating 
at this point. Um, we also deal with some pretty significant behavior issues. And um, one of the things that I think was most helpful is when, when our son was very young, we got connected with our local autism society and were very plugged in with them for many years. And then as Evan got a little bit older, we actually started connecting more with the ARC state chapter and the ARC local chapter in our county um, and got connected to a broader group of folks, not just autism, but intellectual and developmental disabilities more broadly. And by getting connected with those folks, they were probably more instrumental in helping us figure out who we needed to talk to, where to go, what steps to take. Um, and it just really provided us with the kinds of information that you in the ASSIST program are going to be doing. Um, and it's been really surprising to me as a, a person who really valued from very early on connecting with other parents that so many families aren't connected. Um, that just, it kind of boggles my mind that people don't take advantage of that. Um, I know in the autism community, you generally do have some organization that that is, for lack of a better term, yours, your diagnosis. You know, the Down Syndrome Association has, has stuff for families who have children and adults with Down Syndrome. If you have a child who doesn't have a specific diagnosis, uh, just an intellectual disability or maybe some sort of chromosomal disorder that uh, impacts their cognitive or behavioral abilities, um, it's harder to find a home, but the ARC will provide that home because it is a more general uh, group encompassing anybody with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And, and they focus a lot of their work on adults, whereas some of the other organizations tend to, at this point, still focus more on children. So I would encourage families to connect with a broad disability organization in their area, be it the ARC or some other group like the Tennessee Disability Coalition um, as a way to help them learn how to navigate until we get those navigators <laughs> in place and ready to go. <laughs> so, yeah. Great, thanks Janet. So the final question we have for you, Julie, is is there anything else that you would like to share about this research that you're doing or the topic more broadly? Yeah, so I am really excited to share that we have two brand new projects that we just found out about in the last couple of weeks that we're going to get to actually do. Um, and, you know, 
as I mentioned before, we sort of, I jumped into the intervention field because I saw that there was a real area of need that I felt like we could do something about, but really. And, and as a family member, let me say thank you for being willing to jump in and try to intervene and improve outcomes for our loved ones. Oh, thank you, Janet. Um, but at the same time, and, and, I've, and, I've, and I've come to value that work so much, but also recognizing that there is still so, 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 so much we don't know that I think sometimes we need to, and I actually feel like I'm in a really fortunate place where I can move forward with actually putting some programs in place, hopefully. Um, and at the same time now with these new projects, I get to step, take a step back and try to understand really where, what are the issues and what else can we be doing to be helpful. Um, so something that we have observed in a lot of in a lot of our previous work around employment is that employment stability is a real challenge for many people on the autism spectrum. And a lot of our programs, yep. a lot of our services are around getting a job, and that is important, or going to college, and that is important. Even our special ed indicators are really around getting someone into a job or getting someone into a college program. But we've seen time and time again that when somebody gets that position, oftentimes they either don't have the supports or the understanding or, or whatever. There's lots of different reasons why uh, for that program to work, to work out. And that happens for jobs in the community. We see that happen even in more sort of more sheltered type settings where maybe an agency changes or something and someone is just sort of left out in the cold. Um, we see it for college where maybe somebody gets into a college program, but they don't really have sort of the right mix of services and supports to, to really support them in being successful in that program once they get there. We see just massive rates of instability, um, which has led me to say over, like now my, my little, my little one-liner is like getting people into the job or into college is only half, half the issue. We really need to understand how to help them be successful once they get there. Um, and all of our research, it's really focused on employment at one point in time or getting into college at what it's all focused on sort of this getting into the position. So, so we found out a couple weeks ago that we are going to get funding from the National Institute of Mental Health to do a five year study where we follow young adults on the autism spectrum for, for we're going to follow them for three years of that five years and collect data every six months on their job activities and on their post secondary activities and then collect data on a whole host of other things. So when we see instability, when we see something that happens in, in the job world, we can go back to the time point before and say, okay, what was going on here? What was different about this? You know, do we see any changes that can help us sort of predict when there's going to be some instability? And the other point that I think is really important in this is I think that sort of job instability, going out to a job, and having challenges there or dropping out of college, I think that has must have significant impacts on mental health. And we know this from all kinds of other populations. I mean, I think understanding the implications for behavioral development and mental health uh, of going out and having sort of un unsuccessful experiences in the workplace and in the world, I think is really important. And it's also something that we don't really know anything about from a research perspective. So except, this that we, except that we do know that people on the autism spectrum do have a higher level of mental health conditions right. than the general population. That's we do right. know that. That's one of the reasons for that, right? And so, so in this study, we get to understand that. We get to follow people over time. We're actually um, working with uh, Tim Vogus, who's at the business school 
here at Vanderbilt and we're putting in measures of the workplace climate to try to understand if there are certain aspects of the climate in terms of sort of relationships with, with supervisors and, and how much a climate sort of values um, people that think outside of the norm and or, or need things outside of the norm, how much that might play into kind of what's going on in terms of whether someone keeps a job or doesn't. Um, and, and then and then we'll also be doing a lot of just a lot of interviewing and open-ended questions to try to, I think there'll be things that will be at play here that we would not even be able to anticipate to ask about. And so to have some more open-ended where we can ask, you know, sort of broader questions and try to understand what was helpful here. If somebody's in kind of a near-miss situation where things are hard and it looks like they might not keep the job and then they do and it works out, what made the difference there for them? Um, so this is a project that we have been trying to get funded for a long time, and we just found out that we are going to be able to do it. And so well, congratulations for your persistence and your willingness to dive into an area that hasn't really had much research. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to see what we can find out here. We have a little bit of a hint to suggest that, that the factors, the things that, that sort of are, are predict someone getting a job, may be really different than the factors that predict them keeping that job once they get it. And we, you know, we need to understand that, right? Because we don't do people any favors by knowing how to get them into a job or into college, but not understanding how to help them be successful once they get there. Exactly. Well, I do want to thank you for sitting down with me and having this discussion about the ASSIST program. As you know, I'm really excited about this program and delighted to hear about the upcoming research that you've just learned about. And is there any last thing you'd like to say before we close? Only that I want to thank you, Janet, for all of your input. If the ASSIST program works, your input on that is going to be a big part of it because you gave us really honest and careful feedback at every stage, which we appreciate so much. But I also just want to thank you for all that you do in your work life and in your personal life to kind of help families navigate the adult system, the adult service system and supports, you know, the work that you do in the absence of navigators and in the absence of all of these other things, you know, families get services because of what you do, Janet. So thank you. Well, that's very sweet. I appreciate that. Thank you. And with that, I guess we'll say goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Promise of Discovery. Be sure to visit the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center website at vkc.vumc.org to learn more about today's episode. And tune in next time for more on the innovative research and intellectual and developmental disabilities from the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center.